just going to spend a, a few moments just looking, um, just thinking about what happened last Sunday, and then in a slightly wider context. But one thing, I'm sorry, I must say, um, if you're coming to our prayer meeting this evening about a group that's praying around Sorbridgeworth, um, if you're in that group that prays around the town, it should be 7 o'clock at our house. Um, so please come to our house at 7, not 8 this evening. Um, should we pray? Oh God, I pray this morning now as we just think about, Lord, your people and suffering, Father, as we uh, make a change, Lord, in our sort of pre-planned program, Father, I pray that you would make a change in us. Lord, as we think about the wider church, Lord, as we think about our brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would break our hearts. We want to be people, Lord, that feel it, that have the emotions, Lord, that, that are stirred to action. And Father, may we not just be um, sad for a bit and move on. May we all be people that stand always with our family across the world. So be with us now as we look at your word, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Easter Sunday bombings uh, were horrendous, weren't they? And it was a, it's a terrible contrast. It's supposed to be the most joyous Sunday for the church, isn't it? When we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, normally we, we have a Good Friday service, certainly here we do, where it's a bit more somber, and, and part of that's deliberate, so that when we get to Easter Sunday, we're, we're, we're sort of really embracing the joy that can only be felt by worshipping a risen Lord Jesus Christ. But to start our Good Easter Sunday service with that terrible news of those bombs that have gone off across Sri Lanka in those churches and hotels reminded us, didn't it, that actually joy isn't always the emotion we get to feel as Christians. It was a horrendous reminder that the world we live in is fundamentally broken, that despite government's best attempts in all parts of the world, we are always at odds with each other, that there is often divisions and hatred between all kinds of people. And it was a terrible reminder of that last Sunday. It reminded us again of the human capability and capacity for hate and murder and death all in the name of what they think is right. And it reminded us as Christians, didn't it, that for Christians across the world, this is what becomes normal for God's people in many places. It were reminded again of the trials that many of our brothers and sisters face on a daily basis. And it's that that I'd like to focus on just for a few minutes this morning. It would seem quite wrong to be a bit sad and then carry on with a, a program we put together a few months ago and not stop and just engage with what happened last Sunday. It's right and proper to do it. CSW, Christian Solidarity Worldwide, Daphne is our representative um, in the church on behalf of us, the CSW. You may have heard her pray and mention them from the front from time to time. CSW work with um, Christians, defending Christians who are persecuted for their faith, but not just Christians, they seek uh, for everybody to be able to practice their faith without persecution or harm. And CSW uh, made this quote this week. They said, This Easter Sunday, a message of life, hope, and joy for Christian worshippers was marred by the news of a series of explosions targeting Christian churches and hotels in Sri Lanka, striking a devastating blow to the country's one million strong Christian community. And as of this morning, unless it's changed, the death toll stands at 253 people. And a sad amount of those will be children as well. And the response to these bombings, these attacks, have been uh, mixed, I guess, and varied. Of course, in Sri Lanka itself, I guess, there's a, a sense of shock and fear. Uh, and, of course, crushing grief. No doubt, anger as well. There's been blame. 
People have actually said that this is in response to the white supremacist who wasn't a Christian or a Sri Lankan or um, anything to do with anybody else who attacked the mosques in New Zealand. This was because of that. There's been self-reflection. Many people have said there's been lapses in security. I don't know. But there's always, after an attack, that sense of self-reflection. Should we, could we have done anything differently? But there's also been a wonderful outpouring of kindness. World leaders from across the globe have spoken, spoken in support and stood in solidarity. And in fact, many people of different faiths and none have come to their local churches and given flowers and gifts and spoken kind messages of support. But there's been change as well. This morning I'm told that many Christians have been told to stay indoors and not go to church. Can you imagine getting an email saying, don't come to church this morning, it could be too dangerous for you. But that's Sunday in Sri Lanka. Churches have been guarded this week as well. But there's been celebration. ISIS, as much as we celebrated the end of their territory, still are ongoing. They've claimed responsibility unless anything's changed since the last time I checked. And they celebrated the deaths of those people. But there's been one response this week that uh, was passed on to me by a member of this church. And uh, from a nun, a Catholic nun in one of the churches that was attacked. And she wrote a response to the killers, the attackers themselves. And she's written this response to them. And I think of all the responses there have been, I think this is the most wonderful. I'd like to read it to you. And so she writes to the attackers... I appreciate that you made the effort to find out the timing of our services. I appreciate that you learned more about our religion to know that Sundays are the days that we go to church for congregational prayers and worship. But I guess there are some things you rather unfortunately didn't get to learn. Perhaps you didn't know that what you did made them martyrs. And how you've single-handedly raised the status of our brothers and sisters in the eyes of their beloved Jesus with your actions. And how through your actions they will be raised as the most righteous and pious of Christians. Perhaps you didn't know that what you did at the time and place you chose meant, actually meant that the last words that escaped their lips were probably words of remembrance and praise of Jesus. Which is the most noble end many Christians could only dream of. I appreciate that you showed the world, you've showed the world how Christians welcome with open arms even people like yourself into our church, which is our second home. I appreciate you for showing that our churches have no locks or gates and are unguarded because everyone and anyone is welcome to be with us. I appreciate you for allowing the world to see the powerful image of a man injured, lying on his back on a stretcher with his index finger raised high as a declaration of his faith and complete trust in Jesus. I appreciate how you brought churches and government and communities together to stand with us. I appreciate that you made countless Sri Lankans come out of their homes to visit the church nearest to them with flowers and beautiful messages of peace and love. You may have broken many, many hearts, and you have made the world weep, and you have left a huge void. But what you have also done has brought us closer together. It has strengthened our faith and our resolve. And in the coming weeks, more people will turn up in the church, a place you hate so much, fortified by the strength in our faith and inspired by our fallen brothers and sisters. 
You may have achieved, sorry, in the coming weeks, more people of other faiths will turn up at the gates of churches with fresh flowers and beautiful handwritten notes. They may not have known where their church in their area was, but now they do, all because of you. You may have achieved your aim of intended destruction, but I guess you greatly failed to incite hatred, fear, and despair in all of us. And while I understand that may have been your objective, I hate to say that after all that elaborate planning, the perverse and wretched efforts of your part, you still fail to drive a divide among the Christians and non-Christians in this world. And for that, I can't say I'm sorry. just thought it was a good response. I have no idea how I'd respond if that was to happen here. And on Friday, one of the ministers of one of the churches spoke in the media about forgiving, how he forgave the bombers, because that's what we do as Christians. Note the difference to the Christian response when terrible things happen, how our first word is how we forgive. We don't go to fight back, we forgive. And so that's been the global response. What should our response be this morning? Here we sit in peaceful Sorbridgeworth with relatively quiet, easy lives, I guess. But what should we do? What should our response be? Because the story will fade. This time next Sunday, there may be a few video stories halfway down the BBC webpage, almost at that stage now. But by this time next week, the world probably has moved on from the horrendous attacks in Sri Lanka. We must not do the same as Christians. We must not let our emotional response to anything Follow the BBC media or whatever news outlet you may follow. So a few thoughts this morning of what we should do in light of what's happened to our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka. And the first thing we should do as Christians is feel. The first thing we should do is feel it. We should feel the pain that they felt that last Sunday. Our first response should be an emotional one. In the lead up to Easter... Uh, we had the opportunity to visit Auschwitz on a short break to Poland. And I've never been to Auschwitz before. I wasn't quite sure what we were going to see. So, of course, everyone takes lots of photos, don't they? I took lots of photos because it's such a horrendous place on earth that you can't believe you're standing there and what happened. But there were two enduring images, enduring places in Auschwitz. I didn't take any photos for one very simple reason. The first was a room where they had a, a mound of human hair and a pile of shoes and suitcases and pots and pans and hairbrushes and spectacles. And as I walked through watching everybody else take their photos, I thought, I can't possibly take photos of this. Not just because it's horrendous, but because if I see this through the lens of my phone, it's not going to hit my heart. And I really must let this hit my heart. I must feel this, because this was so terrible. We stood by the gas chambers in Auschwitz II Birkenau, where the train goes under the arch. And again, I did not take any photos. In fact, I left our group and disappeared off on my own for a bit because I thought I must let this hit my heart above everything else because this was real. This happened to human beings. They were murdered simply for being Jewish and other nationalities. And it's horrendous. And I must let this come in. This must not be a memory for my phone alone. And our response to what happened in Sri Lanka must be the same. We must not let our emotions be filtered by anything other than the reality and truth of what happened. I read to you those verses from 1 Corinthians 12 at the beginning of our service. And Paul very clearly says, if one part suffers, all part suffers. And that's to be our response if you're a Christian this morning, is it should hurt us the way it hurt them. Their tears should be our tears. Their grief ought to be our grief. Because last Sunday, it wasn't just a country that was attacked. Our family was attacked. 
If you're a Christian this morning, your brothers and sisters had their lives ended. Your brothers and your sisters, my brothers and my sisters. You imagine if it was your actual brother or your mum or dad blown up. You imagine how you would feel, but that's how we should feel. Because this is our family that was attacked last Sunday. Last Sunday, it wasn't just a country that was attacked. You and I were attacked. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the unity of the body. There is one body. We are all members of it, the same, equal importance and honour. And in fact, that oneness in Christ is spoken about over and over and over in the New Testament. So in fact, we were attacked last Sunday. It was us, because we were one in Christ with them. And that's how it should feel. Last Sunday, God's people were attacked, not because they were Easter worshippers, as some politicians insist on saying, whatever on earth that means seeming not to want to say the word Christian. But they were killed because they were followers of Jesus Christ. That was the sum total of the reason. They were targeted because they were like us, but perhaps in the wrong place. And that is why they were attacked that day. That's what we should feel. That's what should pierce our hearts. Romans 8, verse 36 Paul quotes the Old Testament by saying, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then in Romans 12, verse 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Our response to what happened last week needs to be an emotional one, first and foremost. We need to put the figurative camera down the filter of a web page that just gives numbers and just let what happened hit us in the heart because this is our family and their lives taken from them, our children, our brothers and sisters, and it needs to hurt. The second thing we need to do as Christians is open our eyes. That's our response as well because the media struggles to admit a very simple yet heartbreaking truth that Christians are the largest persecuted religious group on the planet. The media often acts like other people are and it's not a competition. Why would it be a competition? But the truth is, Christians are targeted more than anybody else in many countries across the globe. Many partners that we trade with comfortably as a nation, claiming to be a Christian country as we were once, actually persecute Christians. And it's good that Jeremy Hunt and the government are launching an investigation into Christian persecution. I hope that does something Good about it. The Times this week wrote a wonderful article, a brilliant article, I should say, about Christian persecution. And this is what they said. We are now living in an unprecedented era of Christian persecution. They go on to say that in all the 19th centuries, this is the worst it's ever been in Christian history. Forget the Romans when they made us into candles and fed us to lions. This is worse what happens today. It just doesn't happen in Europe. And we must not think that because it doesn't happen in our back garden, it's not happening in our family. It's worse than the Soviet unions at the height of their power when they attacked Christians as well. And the persecution comes for God's people, our people, in many ways. The bombings in Sri Lanka is one. If you're a Christian in Bosnia and Herzegovina, um, you will be tolerated as a Christian. Yet you will be discriminated against because you are one as well. Unable to get the sort of jobs you're entitled to with your education simply because of what religion you follow 
In North Africa, which was once the cradle of early Christianity, a lot of early theologians who shaped much of what we understand and how we understand it. North Africa was the cradle of early Christianity, yet it's being systematically wiped out, pushed out of that part of the world. Yet it goes unsaid many times. The existence of Christianity is under threat in that part of the world. When ISIS were at the height of their powers with all that territory, yes, they attacked many, many different people groups. But they had a particular hate for Christians, beheading many, many people. You think of the lady in Pakistan who was on death row for eight years simply because she was accused of blasphemy incorrectly. Christians suffer in many places from Egypt to India, Bhutan, Myanmar, Nepal to name a few. And think of China, our wonderful global trading partner. We all buy their phones. And yet they are slowly changing how they approach Christians again. It was kind of right for a bit. But now you have to register again. We've got the state church coming back and proper Christians being forced underground. You have to be Chinese and then a Jesus follower. And so Christians are again going underground to move away from that regime. So I want to play you a video. It's about four minutes, but it just says a bit about where Christians are persecuted and what happens. And uh, and I know this is a a lot to take, but I'm glad it is, because this is our family. If it doesn't upset us or make us feel uncomfortable, then perhaps we're doing something wrong. But should we watch this? Imagine being arrested because you own a Bible or finding that the government has suddenly closed down your church. Imagine being denied education or employment because you're a Christian or being thrown into prison just because you told someone about Jesus. Imagine being forced out of your home because of your faith or living in a country where there is absolutely no freedom of belief. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Yet this is the cost of faith for millions of Christians around the world. Every day they pay this price with courage and hope. And these are the top five countries where their faith costs the most. Number five, Pakistan. In Pakistan, an estimated 700 Christian women and girls are abducted every year. Any Christian can find themselves accused of blasphemy and end up in jail or attacked by an angry mob. But even though churches have been bombed and attacked, Pakistani Christians continue to meet together and shine God's light. Number four, Libya. In the lawless state of Libya, militant Islamists attack Christians with impunity. Desperate Christian migrants have been killed or sold into slavery. Yet despite the danger, Libyans are still coming to Christ. Number three, Somalia. In Somalia, just being suspected of being a Christian can lead to instant execution. But brave Christians still gather in small groups, constantly changing the location of their meetings to avoid detection. Number two, Afghanistan. There are only a few thousand Christians in Afghanistan and they keep their faith hidden. Anyone known to follow Jesus can face violence from their family or tribe. But even here, people encounter Christ through radio programs or, miraculously, in dreams. 
Number 1. North Korea North Korea is number one for the 18th consecutive year. In this land, the leaders are worshipped as gods. Christians are viewed as enemies of the state. Some 50 to 70,000 Christians are imprisoned in labor camps. Hannah was sent to a North Korean labor camp because of her faith. I was praying with my eyes closed, and the guard was beating me, saying, Why are you trying to pray? Are you insane? As I prayed, I believed that other Christians would be praying for me. This is what I prayed to the Lord in prison. God, have mercy on us. Save my young children and my family. Let this prison become a church one day so that it can be a place of worship for you. I praise my beloved Jesus who answered my prayer and freed me from the handcuffs and opened the prison doors. Millions of courageous Christians are paying the cost of following Christ. Open Doors works with local church partners in over 60 countries around the world to provide long-term support and bring them hope. Our underground networks smuggle Bibles and literature, offer legal advice, train church leaders and other Christians, and provide vital practical aid. In North Korea, your support is keeping 60,000 believers alive with food, medicine and clothing. You can keep hope alive for your persecuted family. Join the secret network today and start bringing hope to Christians in the darkest, most dangerous places on earth. So, um, I've got a little uh, picture actually. Um, so Open Doors is a Christian organization that work with um, persecuted Christians all over the world. Um, and so this is, their, they produce a yearly watch list and, and, and they, I think it goes by severity of persecution. And, and of course the red ones are extreme and orange is very high and then high over there. And, uh, and some of these um, you, may, you may have been to on holiday. Um, the Maldives is number 14, which is a wonderful place to go for a lot of people, isn't it? But if you're a Christian in the Maldives, it's not so nice. So there's something to, uh, to consider. And, uh, and their website's very useful, lots of information on there as well. And, and if you wanted to give, you can. Um, so that's it so the first thing is to feel to feel what's going on to open our eyes to understand as Christians that our people are persecuted all over the world and the third thing is to understand as well it's important that we understand what's going on and perhaps why it's going on as well because suffering for being a Christian is to be expected um, and it's sadly normal in fact the Christianity we get to live out is abnormal uh, in terms of the, the scope of Christian history, this is unusual to be able to meet with absolutely no resistance whatsoever. So don't get too comfortable. It may change at some point. Um, in fact, I suspect it will as a nation gives up its Christian heritage like the UK is doing. Um, it may well change. We may not go through what they go through uh, for some time, but things will begin to get a bit rough. But we must be very careful in Christians in the UK to not use the P word of ourselves too often. Uh, I've heard Christians talk of persecution in this country. No, 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 no. Um, maybe some opposition and some resistance you might say but I wouldn't think we should start using that word too liberally just yet as Christians in the UK uh, we don't lose our life for our faith we don't lose our families, we don't lose our money our houses aren't repossessed we're not beaten up for our faith uh, just yet 
So, uh, so we need to understand that this is sadly normal and to be expected for God's people. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 to 12, Paul writes, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and persecution, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not the sort of thing we like to hear, but that's what Paul says. That's the kind of thing that happen because your godliness will rub up against ungodliness. And your belief will rub up against unbelief. The Bible describes us as either the stench of death for some people or the stench of fragrance of life. So some people, they'll find out you're a Christian, they think, oh, I really irritate them. You really irritate them just by being there. Other people, they love it. Oh, you're a Christian, it's brilliant. But for some, the fact that you're a Christian just I don't know, bricks their conscience or does something spiritual and they don't like it. So you're the stench of death. So we expect that reality, those two things. In John 15, verses 18 to 21, Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. And if they do not know, for they do not know the one who sent me. If it happened to Jesus, it will happen to God's people as well. 1 Peter, I'm looking forward to chapter 4 and verse 12. Uh, Peter writes this in verses 12 to 14. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And then back to Matthew chapter 5, in verses 10 um, to 12, we read this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For it is in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 35 um, to 39. Actually, no, we'll do that at the end. Forget that one. Um, so we need to understand that persecution is a, a normal reality for God's people. This is unusual. This is unusual. It's more normal to have opposition and resistance because of your faith in Jesus Christ, because it is a spiritual resistance and so the fourth thing is we must feel the pain we must open our eyes to what's going on we must understand that this is normal and then the fourth thing we must do is we must act we must do something in matthew chapter 5 um, verse 38 to 42 jesus says this you have heard that it is said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i tell you do not resist an evil person if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turn to them the other also That's our response to terror and terrorists and terrorism, to turn the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, 
Go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Our action in the face of hate isn't hate and revenge. It is peacefulness. It is sacrifice. It's forgiveness and gentleness. And it makes no sense from a worldly point of view. But Christ allowed his hands to be nailed to a cross because he was peaceful and sacrificial. He took on terror and hate by saying, Father, forgive. And if we're persecuted like him, we forgive like him as well. Our next action, Matthew chapter 5 again, verse 44. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're to be peaceful, forgiving. We're to be a people of love, who even love people who might attack us. And we're to be people who pray for those who persecute. We must pray for those who lost their lives in Sri Lanka, and as hard as it may be, we must pray for the families of those terrorists who blew themselves up. We must pray for those who are thinking of doing it again, or doing it for the first time, I should say, following on from that. We must love them. We must forgive them. We must ask God to move in their life. Because if we don't do that for them, then none of us should be saved. If you don't love your enemies. And then we must give. Acts chapter 11, verse 27 to 30. A man named Agabus, a prophet in the New Testament, in the early church, I should say, came and had a, a, a vision of God, a prophecy about the suffering church. And they had a collection of the famine that was coming onto all of God's people. Um, I'll read it to you rather than waffling on, sorry. Chapter, I didn't put a bookmark in here. Chapter 20 of Acts, verses 27 to 30. Sorry, Acts 11. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman Empire. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas. And so so we must love, we must forgive, we must pray. Um, But we must give as well. That's why we had a collection this morning. It's important that we stand with those who suffered by saying here is some of what we have to help you rebuild. We must give. But there's one more thing we can do as well. We can write letters on behalf of those who suffer. Um, Some of you may have attended the CSW. Um, Daphne and Andrea put together an evening a couple of times a year where a group of us get together and we write letters on behalf of those who are in prison, we write to persecuted Christians, telling them that we're praying for them, telling them that we love them, telling them we stand with them. All parts of the world, Bangladesh to South America, to North, well, not North America, to North Korea, places like that. And they get letters from this church and many, many other Christians across the Western world, I guess, just saying, we know your plight, we love you, and we're praying for you. But we can do more than that. We could be writing to our government, holding to account, and saying, okay, Jeremy Hunt, it's good that you're doing an investigation. What's happening with it? What else is going to happen with it? Are you going to put pressure on that government to stop what they're doing? We could be a louder voice that they can't be. We must act, not just in how we respond personally, but as a church. We must stand with our brothers and sisters, not just when things go wrong, but long before. And so what happened in Sri Lanka last Sunday should break our hearts. 
It should cause us to look and grasp the enormity of Christian persecution. It should make us in the peaceful West more determined in our own faith to have the same bold and clear faith that our brothers and sisters have right across the world, a faith that is often shown in the face of death itself. But two, we should be energised to shine a light on their plight by challenging our own government, by writing letters. We should be giving Bibles to them by supporting organisations like Open Doors and the Bible Society. We should be giving them practical help, but we should be praying for them. And I will say this, if you're a committed Christian here this morning, you should be praying for the persecuted church regularly. And I will say this, if you don't, how can any of us say we love Jesus Christ? If his body is the whole church, how can we say we love Christ with our whole heart and yet not pray for one part of his body that is put to death for its faith? The two don't work. If we love Jesus, we love his church. And we should be praying for the persecuted church as often as we can. But we should be encouraged as well because Jesus told us there would be suffering. And then he gave us these words from Paul in Romans 8:35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written we face death all day long for your sake. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And for that, we thank God and say hallelujah. Because no matter what happens to God's people, nothing will separate us from the great love of God shown through Christ Jesus. Let's pray and then we'll sing our final song. Lord God, just as we end this, this service, Father, Lord, we just want to pray again for our world. And Lord, the, the spotlight this morning has been very much on Sri Lanka because, Lord the, Lord, the hurt is still so raw. But Lord, we know this day, Christians will have lost their lives and their freedom in many, many other countries across the world. And Lord, just that image of labour camps in North Korea just really hit me again as we watched that video. Father, I'm so sorry that we don't do anything about it. That, Lord, our brothers and sisters are there. Um, and, Lord, maybe for me, having visited somewhere like Auschwitz, it just um, makes it that bit more real. Lord, we mustn't pretend that they're secretly being well looked after when we know they won't be. Father God, may we not be people who walk by on the other side. Father God, break our hearts, I pray. And, Lord, as a church, Lord, we're not just one independent group. We're a part of the body of Christ. So, Lord, we do pray again for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka. Be with them as they try and put their lives back together. But, Lord, may their faith be stronger than ever before. And may there be such a a message of peace and of Christ's death and resurrection that many more people come to know you. Father God, defeat hate in this world by your great love, I pray. May you use us for that as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we end with Jesus, Hope of the Nations?